Hi and welcome to the IT Insider Podcast, the podcast to help the IT professionals and enthusiasts better understand the fast-paced world of technology. We hope you'll enjoy this IT Insider production. Hello and welcome to another episode of the IT Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Holmes from RACS, and today I'm joined by David Patterson, uh, co-founder director from KnowNow, and uh, Shabal Bhattabhi. Hello, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good right. afternoon. Oh, for, for any of our listeners, wherever you are, whenever you are, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. So, there we go. So, we'll cover that one up. On this podcast, we are going to look at uh, GDPR, so the General Data Protection Regulation. Got that right? And, and I think more specifically, what we're going to do with, with the help of Shara and David, we're going to look at um, privacy impact assessments, which are a core requirement of GDPR. And Shall we say it's an area where NoNow have been quite busy for a number of years now. So just in case, and David, I'll ask you to do a, a full introduction about yourself and you, and you and also NoNow. But just to set the scene, NoNow are a smart city innovator. Uh, they're um, enabling organisations and businesses to, to find those, I think as you put it, those eureka moments in data, which I quite like. Uh, yeah, when, when I hear you guys talk about that, I, I, have, I have to paraphrase it. Um, you're also quite busy uh, from a point of view of your members of the Digital and Future Cities Catapults, you're recipients of the Open Data Prize from uh, through the ODI, the Open Data Institute, and, and you've been awarded a European Commission um, commitment for sustainable urban mobility. Have I covered pretty much <laughs> the high level? Have I missed any awards or gongs out there? Bafters or... Um... I guess there are probably a couple of other things, but we don't like to blow our own trumpet. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you for reading. So, before we dive into uh, in, into kind of the crux of the podcast, um, gents, can I ask you to just give us a bit of a point of history about yourselves, your background, and and why, shall we say, privacy privacy impact assessments? Why they're the claws to your hearts of the hearts of your mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I am David Patterson from Learning Out Information, and I've always had a background in playing with technology, trying to poke at things, trying to take things apart and put them back together and see how they might be able to do something that's more impressive than perhaps they were originally designed to be able to do. And that led to me taking up a number of different IT-based positions, one of which was working at IBM. And um, from there, I started playing and working in the field of smart cities. I was actually in sales at the time, um, working within their local government team. And it became quite obvious to me that the amount of data that was available about the individual was becoming ever larger. And the amount of information that you were able to get hold of through fair means or foul, it should be added, um, was beginning to get a little bit distressing. And I think I'm not alone in thinking that. Uh, Many organisations have recently begun to look at ways of trying to control the amount of data that might be passed between different organisations. And um, I'll tell the story in full later, but effectively we were designing an application and we were worried about the 
level of personal data we were able to get hold of. So we decided that we would try and do something about it. And we eventually designed a privacy tool that at the time we called Trust. Um, but yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. It's always been something that's close to my heart. And if I can try to help the planet to be better able to control the spread of personal data, that'll make me a happy man. Brilliant. So, generally from quite a commercial background originally, uh, both domestically and internationally, worked for SMB companies as well as large corporates such as IBM. Um, in the security arena for the past probably three years now, three and a half years, uh, and over the past two years, have realised that the privacy part of data yeah. is growing more than perhaps just for security. And security is really an element of privacy. So you can have, you know, security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. So it's certainly a factor of that. Um, and David and I knew each other from our IBM days. Um, really liked what he was doing around Concentra. Um, really fitted in as well with what the new regulation is demanding of uh, organisations. Um, so it seemed a perfect fit to work together. Mm, interesting. So, shall we take a step back then? And, yeah, I think it would probably be useful for the audience to, to clarify a few things around GDPR and, uh, and maybe set the scene. So, David, I'm no expert. But can I ask you, can you set the scene around GDPR and what it's going to mean in the UK when, when it comes into force next year? So we've always had data protection rules or since the 1990s, but that's the problem in itself, is that the rules that we have them at the moment under the Data Protection Act were designed for that period in time. Mm. And many of the developments that we've had over the last 10, 15 years have not found an easy path for legislation from data protection. So things like um, the use of social media and whether or not you can pass personal information from one social media network to the other is not adequately covered within the Data Protection Act. So it was always clear that there was something that would be needed that was more comprehensive. And the European Commission over the past five, six years has actually been working on developing this new legislation, which is the General Data Protection Regulation. And um, we were invited to um, put our two penneth into the uh, solution because we actually came up with this tool that enabled people to be able to manage the amount of personal data that was being shared. And that was eventually recommended to the European Commission as a potential way of answering the technological requirement of GDPR. So we've been involved in it now for a, a few years. And amongst the things that GDPR will enable people to do is to control the level of personal data that actually gets shared by organisations. The key part that I'm interested in is consent, which is what our tool helps people to manage. But Sharp is a bigger expert on GDPR in general than I am. So, yeah, thanks. It, I, I mean, one, one of the reasons around GDPR, and you're absolutely right there, David, is, is that we have a 1998 Data Protection Act, which came out of a directive in 1995 from the EU, 
Um, and really what that directive was saying to the member states of Europe was, look, this is the end result we want to get to in terms of protection of data uh, for individuals. It's down to you to go and implement that on each state. Uh, so the UK took a view and Austria took a view and France took a view and then implemented it over a two-year period. Of course, because of the cultural differences and different legal frameworks, we have a quite a large amount of divergence in how that's implemented. So, <coughs> excuse me, the EU Commission decided we need almost, and it is a principle now, it's in the regulation, a one-stop shop, some harmonisation across the regulation, so it doesn't matter whether you're in Spain or in Birmingham, I don't know if Birmingham's class as a country, but you know, wherever you are, you will be able to have the same level of protection and the same mechanism in order to obtain redress and, you know, someone to do your rights for you. That is why we have a general data protection regulation and that is why you might find, even though you're based in the UK, you might be dealing with the ICO, the Information Commissioner Officer here, you could as easily be dealing with a German data protection authority. So something to bear in mind there. Right, right. So, so basically, what we're saying is, you know, I think the regulations that have been been out there in the past, member states, it's been long overdue, long, long overdue that it should be reviewed and be put in context of things like you know, modern technical and te technological landscapes such as you know, progress and the proliferation of social media. But not only that. I think fair to say that you know, people are fed up with you know, the feedback to the regulators has been you know, having reams and reams and reams and pages and pages and pages in terms of conditions over how a company is going to use your data. Yeah. And then a little tick box at the end saying, yes, I accept. It's probably not adequate. No, not anymore. I mean, we, you know, one of the absolute needs for this sort of consensual um, solution it's basically because if you look at what's required from the regulation in terms of obtaining consent, it, the bar now is so high, and it's not just about obtaining consent, but recording consent and demonstrating to a regulator that you have the appropriate consent, organisations will struggle with that. In fact, you know, most of the inquiries, when we look at GDPR generally across, you know, everything it might encompass, you know, processing records, if you look at, you know, due diligence on third party processes you might outsource to, um, you know, legal reasons for processing, data security, encryption, pseudonymization, et cetera, et cetera, a whole raft of the 99 articles within it. Always, always we spend probably, if we've got a day, half that day talking about consent. How they're going to obtain it, how they're going to use it, the impact to their marketing efforts, the impact to how they're going to, you know, remove consent because, you know, the subject, the person that's given consent has absolute rights now to move the data to someone else, to stop the data, to withdraw consent. So I'm, I'm really interested in the thought process behind coming up with trust and its situation into consent. I, from, from the little that you've said and positions you, your views and and set, set the scene so far. It seems very much that you guys view that consent aspect of GDPR as being 
what are the characteristics when organisations should should look at their preparedness and the processes that they're going to put in place? That you firmly believe that there are, there are benefits for companies, organisations, private or public sector, having a robust mechanism to deal with this whole consensual yeah. element of GDPR. I mean, this wasn't designed as something which was regulation and compliance for regulation and compliance's sake. This was designed as something that would actually be able to enable companies to move closer to their customers mm. and to regain the kind of trust levels that perhaps have been slightly diminished through people becoming suspicious as to how their data might be used. Yeah, that's, and I think it's, it's probably fair to say that yeah, we took a straw poll of all the listeners uh, this podcast. The, I think the overwhelming feeling would be one of a lack of trust when you have any information over to any of the organisations that you deal with online, offline, in person or or at the end of a photo? No, you're absolutely right. In fact, in a recent survey, well, I think it's about maybe four months old now, um, people's concerns about how their data is being used ranked higher than customer services they would receive, like the level of customer service they would receive from an organisation. You know, if we think about, you know, digital security and digital privacy and how these legislations came about, and definitely not going to go into the history of privacy, now, but you know, if we look at that, you know, originally it was we, these laws and regulations came into effect because people were concerned about how governments had access to the data. That's still quite topical today, but how governments had access to data and how they would use it. And what happened since you know, the sort of 1980s, 90s, with the proliferation of you know, data becoming a currency mm-hmm. and the value of data and how you can sort of amalgamate that it shifted to the commercial world. Right. And that's why now the onus is on the organisations to be able to manage how data is used. There are, there are reports that an increasing number of people have not been accepting in terms of conditions and privacy notices, for instance, um, especially on some of the social networks um, sites. So if, for instance, you're a social network that offers access to third-party games, for instance, yeah. and you get a warning saying um, your personal data will be shared with the uh, provider of that game, mm-hmm. um, in the past, almost 99% of people just ignored it or clicked, yes, that's fine. That number's been declining. And given the revenues that some of those social media companies actually achieve through advertising and other means um, by using those, those games, um, that's actually had a huge effect on their bottom line. So it's there's a, a monetary reason why they want to regain that level of trust that they previously had with the consumer. So, so it's almost a, a case of the the push on organisations is is as much from their their client and their customer base as it is from a regulation perspective. Yeah, and in fact, it will probably become an enabler as well in some instances. So there are some uh, industries that very much depend on that kind of personal information. So if you think about the sharing economy, for instance, um, a a greater level of trust will really enable them uh, to provide better services to people through um, a willful and consentful exchange of their personal information. It'll also help um, other 
organisations to begin to provide that kind of rock star experience. You know, if they've got a sensible method for managing personal data, people will be more happy to share it with them. And then those companies will be able to use that data to provide you with a more customised experience. So, you know, my co-founder Chris always calls it the rock star experience. He wants to be able to board the train and the train company to know that he would like a copy of a certain paper provided to him. He, he certainly wants to be able to walk into a pub and be handed his favourite beer as soon as he gets through the door. I think they're admirable aspirations to have. That might be just me talking. I think, is it fair to say that the organisations and government, yeah, are they, have they been blinkered in the past from a point of view of, of not really appreciating the you know, consumers and people like themselves? You know, not just people from within the tech industry, but you know, their their concerns aren't just the fact that their details might be on some random mail, junk mailing list. It might be a case of, you know, they're actually a little bit more savvy, a little bit more switched on about the value of their own data, but also how their own personal data, how the, I suppose that, that kind of that digital exhaust they leave as they, you know, as, as they go to work and social life, yeah, how that could be monetized, or, or is it, yeah, is there a more complex dynamic there? Well, I think it's been a, a slow path in that, when online services first became available, mm -hmm. it's probably fair to say that because there wasn't a sharing economy in personal data, yeah. that data wasn't as valuable as it is now. Right. So if a company had collected personal, uh, um, personal information about you, it wouldn't have anywhere else to go and market that in the earlier days of the internet, for instance. Right. So you were happy to provide that data to an organization on the basis that you would receive a better service or any sort of service and you would think well what are they going to do with the fact that they know where i live and my email address and all this sort of thing whereas now of course there is an economy based on sharing that data yep. and i think we've all begun to realize that what perhaps didn't have value 15 20 years ago now very much has significant value and it's difficult to shut the door after the horse has bolted. So we've unfortunately in a position whereby we require regulation in order to stop that from happening because the alternative is that it's it's very easy to set up databases and to set up your store of personal information. It's very easy to be able to exchange that digitally. And because of the ease of doing that and the benefits that an organization might reap, it, that's why it needs controls. And I dare say as well, it's it, it's very easy to alienate your customers, your users. It's very it's very easy for them to take the view of being scared rather than seeing the benefits of. Yeah, and it's probably not just the consumer that actually feels scared in some way, because the very genesis of our own tool um, was that as the developers we felt almost embarrassed about the level of personal data we were able to find about people. So um, if I take a step back three years, we were, um, as a company, KnowNow was invited onto the Cognicity Challenge, which was an accelerator program run at Canary Wharf. Yeah. And as part of that, we developed a retail application that enabled the um, estate manager to be able to see where people were at all times uh, because there was a token on their phone uh, placed on as part of the application uh, deployment. 
And the idea being that if there was a delay, for instance, at the tube station, which there frequently is around <laughs> five o'clock at Canary Wharf, um, they could be sent relevant offers, relevant to them, because we know roughly what they like. You know, David particularly likes coffee, for instance, so therefore yeah. he's going to receive an offer for um, getting a discount on his coffee from his favourite coffee place. Um, and we created that application, we submitted it, and consequently lost the Cognacy Challenge because there were um, other applications that were being developed at that time that did that and probably better. Okay. But what happened was is that because we had so much access to personal data, we actually felt quite bad about it. So we implemented something within our own application that at the time we called the Trust Slider. And that was just a method for being able to choose how much of your personal data you wanted and felt comfortable with sharing. So you could choose, for instance, that they could only know your name, or you might slide your finger along a little bit and you'd say, no, they can know my email address, they could know, you know um, my, my likes, my dislikes from Facebook, for instance. Scroll it all the way to the right and they'll probably know your children's name and your address, where you live and what you had for tea that day, that sort of thing. Yeah. So you could, you could choose how much information you would actually share in order to receive a better service. And we demonstrated that as part of the overall retail application. And frankly, it was only that trust slider that people wanted to talk to us about. Um, we were invited to do a developer roadshow, and literally every team that we went to go and see said, mm, your app's okay, but it, what we really like is we like the way that you've, effectively, you've taken the problem of how do I manage my users' privacy, and you've created a mini application that will actually help me to be able to control that. So we were encouraged to go and develop that as a separate uh, microservice. We worked on it over the uh, summer, year and a half ago, and because of the work we were doing there, we were invited to go and speak to the European Commission and demonstrate to them what we'd actually done. And when they saw it, they said, ah, oh, this fits in very well with the upcoming GDP. GDP well, you should mention that. Yeah, so, this is um, what we're doing. So that's, um, that's how kind of we got involved. Um, from very early days. We were pointed towards some industry experts who've been able to help us with things like the mechanics of consent, what consent is from a legal framework and also how it will apply for technology. And that helped us to be able to build our application that enables an organization to create a consent template, which is a record of the consents it wants to be able to uh, receive from people. And it enables the user to be able to choose which elements of data they're, they're willing to uh, exchange with that organisation. Right. And all, all auditable and able to be recorded for posterity. So, so it kind of puts, it puts the, the control back in the hands of the user. It helps protect the organisation gathering the data. And I suppose like you say, it, it, it gives it gives an environment or a way of trying to give trust back to, to that interaction yeah. on both parts. Yeah, the key word I think is trust. This was never designed as a GDPR compliant solution. Hmm. That wasn't why it was built. It was built because we wanted to increase the trust between the data consumer and the data provider. Um, and it's almost a happy accident, if you like, that GDPR is of of a time now, uh, it will be in in May 2018, and our tool will provide the consent management um, that will help people to become GDPR compliant. I think it's worth mentioning, um, just that, you know, part of, of obtaining consent 
is that it needs to be unambiguous and freely given. Yeah. Now, that might sort of, it might go, well, that's quite obvious, you know, understanding needs to be freely given. But one of the tests that, you know, the regulators will apply to that potentially is if you are, if you are saying, okay, we need your personal details in order to offer you a service, whether that's a download of a white paper or access to a portal, and you turn around as a user and say, I don't want to give my personal details, but I still want access to it, otherwise it isn't freely given, you're forcing it out of me, you are obliged to still provide that service. So we should see an eradication of these these sites where you literally cannot progress any further to a service unless you it will be to accept. Or you have to explain the impact of you not providing your you know, you have to say if you you know you give your details and it's freely given. Mm-hmm. If you don't, this is the impact to you, yeah. but you cannot withhold the service on the basis of not being able to obtain personal data. So if you're an organisation that is, you know, your business model, you know, is part of that sharing economy where you are reliant on receiving information, you know, in order, you need to make sure that you have that, you know, A, you're meeting the regulation, Mm -hmm. two, you can demonstrate to your users how you're going to use their information, yeah, both commercially for them and regulatory, but also, you know, to gain their trust. Yeah. Almost coming full circle there, aren't we? Well, we are. And, yeah, we're, unfortunately, we're rapidly running out of time. We only have a few minutes left. So as we come back full circle, and, and really just that, to ask for some final thoughts from, from you both, um, what's, what's been the feedback sort of post-development, are there, yeah, are there any anecdotal stories or comments that you can give us from, from what organisations, public or private, have thought to Consentia and, and you know, what, what sort of encouragement have you had outside of, you know, obviously the, you know, all the positive and good news that you've had so far? Well, the interesting thing from uh, my point of view is that I've been um, almost demonstrating um, as a kind of roadshow, both around the UK around Europe, but also outside of Europe as well, mm-hmm. to see um, what the implications are. Because GDPR is a European Union rule or, or regulation, but it doesn't only pertain to companies from within the European Union. No. It will also be valid for any organisation that's doing business with European um, member countries, member states, and also that share data with any organisations uh, from within the European states. Also, any of those companies within the European Union who share data outside the European Union. So we have situations whereby, um, when I was recently in Malaysia demonstrating uh, the consensual capability to Malaysia, partially because they have a fairly similar regulation at the moment to GDPR. Um, Lots of the companies that wanted to talk to me were actually US-based companies who are almost petrified at the fact that they felt that they didn't have much, um, for instance, legal resource that understood the full implications of GDPR. And with a large number of their customers being based in the European Union, they're worried about how they might be able to actually continue to do business there. So um, there, there are 
many, many organisations outside the EU who are also looking to see what they might be able to achieve. Um, on a slightly separate point, we've got organisations that are based um, all around the world who are looking to learn really from how UK and the rest of the European Union companies are actually handling GDPR. So there's a, a large potential for UK-based businesses to go out and talk about how they're beginning to manage data in a more intelligent way. Mm, interesting. That has been absolutely fascinating. And I think we're just about at the head of the, the half hour. So all that remains for me to say is, Sean, David, thank you very, very much for coming along today. Thank you. And, Absolute pleasure. I, and I know it's, uh, we talked about trade and transport earlier. I know it's been quite a, a fraught tripping for you today, so <laughs> appreciate you, uh, you, you plugging on in. And I'm glad I made it. Yeah, it's quite a pleasure studio. We might be sleeping here by the sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doors always open. But thank you very much. I hope all our listeners have found that really interesting. And, and I think we could probably fill another podcast around the topic and the subject. So fingers crossed we'll see you back soon. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, gents. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe and visit us at theitinsider.com.